Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I have a wonderful guest today, Laura Nadur. She is the president of CHEP North America. It's a Brambles company, and I can't wait to learn more about the company and all you do. Uh, Laura has an extensive uh, international background. I just learned she speaks five languages. I can't wait to hear all the languages during the interview. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, she has an engineering uh, background uh, from the University of Buenos Aires. Uh, she spent some time in London where she got her master's degree. She's led units in uh, Latin America, Europe, and North America. Uh, and it's just a wonderful international background uh, in the supply chain industry and with logistics, uh, which has been a hot topic in the past three years. Uh, CHEP has been one of the highest scoring companies in the nation for the best and brightest companies to work for. Uh, just recently, you were listed as an elite winner for employee enrichment, engagement, and retention. And uh, in Atlanta, for the regional competition, uh, just recently, you were the best of the best overall winner. So welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Delighted to be here, Jennifer. And thank you for the introduction. That's really, really good. Thanks. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Um, well, let's, let's get right into it. Tell us more about CHEP, Brambles, your mission, um, your mission for sustainability, yeah, I think I have to thank you for the question because um, not many people know about Brambles or CHEP uh, for that matter. Uh, CHEP is the biggest uh, business in the group, uh, unless you work in supply chain. If you work in supply chain, you would know that CHEP is one of the world's most sustainable logistics businesses and consistently recognized as such uh, by, by many external entities. So I, I always start by talking about Brambles, talking about the purpose that we we have a purpose-driven business here, and, and our purpose is to connect people with life's essentials every day, which is pretty cool. Um, we have a pioneering uh, share and reuse model, circular model, that, that allows Brambles to move more woods to more people in more places than any other organization, which, which is amazing. And many people don't know that, you know? We have pallets and containers that we say they form the invisible backbone of the global supply chain. Like, you know, your backbone, you don't know it's there, but without it, you cannot walk, you cannot move well. So that, that's the concept here. Uh, we serve fast-moving, uh, fast so CPG companies, consumer goods, fresh produce, beverage, retail, general manufacturing. Uh, so these are kind of the industries where we are. And in um, that circular business model that I was talking about, uh, that's facilitate that many 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 uh different companies around the world they share and reuse the largest pool of reusable pallets and containers that exist so if you think about let's make it real for you anything that you buy at your grocery store anything that you pick up to prepare dinner or to you know cleaning products for the house when you go out to a restaurant you go to a hotel chances are that anything any of those products that that, that you're touching they moved in one of our platforms throughout the entire journey from production to distribution to the store where you picked it up. So um, it's pretty uh, omnipresent if, if you think about it, even though people don't know. So, and then the cool, the coolest thing for me at least is that we are committed to helping create regenerative supply chains, which, which means for those that don't know, 
that you know we, we're giving back to the planet more than we take from it. So you know, in a world that we know is extremely resource constrained, um, when you have a circular business model like this one, you know that that you're creating a practical business solution to enable more responsible trading, right? So you know you, you extract less uh, less than what you give back. So we we do that and we offer this pooling mechanism. So we reduce the pressure on natural resources, we reduce the waste that is typically produced in the linear business models as opposed to the circular. So an example is, you know, starting from sourcing, we, we source our raw materials responsibly. We plant two trees for every one that we use. And we always say it's kind of the, the, the motto is, it's one for the pilot and it's one for the planet. So, so we are regenerating. And we operate with zero waste landfill, which means, uh, uh, you know, no waste so we don't generate any waste but also we take the waste of others so companies that create post-consumer packaging waste we take that waste and we transform it into durable platforms again new pallets or containers that can enter the circular business model again and be shared reused and reused for many years so when you talk about people which is today's point yeah the sustainability credentials are the strongest part of our, value, uh, of our employee value proposition is why people want to join our company. It's not the pilots, right? They tell us is, is our purpose, is the practical ways that they can impact important things that they care about, like climate change, from their daily job. And that's not very usual to happen. So really, really strong for us. And, and what a wonderful, strong story for your culture. You, you touch almost every good that we consume and you make sure it's done in a sustainable zero waste way and um, we we thank you for that thank you so much for taking that on because it is a harder road to travel um, but an important one and and i do imagine that your employee engagement and enrichment is infected um, by that mission um, so you you have unique experience um, you have worldwide knowledge global knowledge about logistics, supply chain. Uh, many have used supply chain as a leading indicator for making business decisions. So other CEOs and business executives that are listening right now, uh, what insights can you give them about where the supply chain is right now compared to previously? Are we through the woes of the industry or help us make some decisions? Um, what are some leading indicators that we should be aware of? Man, that's the question of the million, right? Everybody's asking right now. How do we guess that future? I think, uh, yeah, through the through the last twelve months, uh, in, and beyond that, but I guess for the last year, uh, there's been certainly you know an unfolding and, and an amplification of a number of dynamics that uh, that kind of converge into what we now tend to refer to the new normal, right? So it's whatever that that really means. But you know, it it is it is changing. It has changed quite dramatically. Uh, this kind of new setup, new market landscape is, is the result of a number of things, extended inflationary economy, disruptions you were talking about, the supply chain disruptions that continue to be ongoing, actually not so much as before, definitely not, but you know, some, some persist. And the changes in consumer behavior, which is a, a very big piece of it, all of these combined uh, are, are the drivers of some, some of the longer term implications that we see in terms of you know how businesses are making decisions so if you think about how you know it all started 2020 with, with the kind of the onset of the of the pandemic 
in and to now there's been much i guess by now it's probably more coverage on the news about supply chain challenges that there was about the pandemic itself um, it wasn't like that at the beginning but it did develop like that we had china shutting down that drove massive um, ripple effects everywhere companies around the globe quickly found out that they were very exposed they were very exposed to being unable to deliver to their customers and so they saw you know all the all the way from key commodities raw materials components you know electronic components no longer available there was no timeline by which they would be again available and then on top of that you had these material shifts on on the consumer behavior the, the shopping behaviors that you know we saw exponential growth of, of e-commerce home you know home delivery so people looking for convenience convenience but safety as well so so caring for their health and there was a lot of reduction in the traffic through the stores the physical stores so and the spikes in valleys so the volatility which was something very new um, so so that well, that role was you know in the space that we are uh, certainly manufacturers and retailers they took different decisions to protect themselves all the way from how they source to how and where they manufacture to how they go to market right so the entire thing is is kind of kind of this a big shake up and uh, and you know if I point out one decision that's had big implications uh, recently is is that move on uh, inventory policies from just in time, which was the mandate before yeah. the, the pandemic, to just in case now. So <laughs> you, you have and there's a pendulum, right? So very, yeah. it's a very substantial move, which creates a lot of impacts upstream throughout the supply chain. But it was about protecting on-shelf availability because nobody wanted those empty shelves that we saw everywhere at some point. And they wanted to hedge against inflation because inflation was growing up, it was filing. So, so companies, what they did was anticipate. So in order to be safe, increase safety stocks and be ready just in case there would be another, another shock. So produced a lot ahead. Uh, they bought, they purchased, they anticipated purchases, particularly imports. But the lead time was longer and there was more uncertainty so we saw retailers buying imports from asia like six to 12 months ahead of their normal times and and then we saw international freight become a real bottleneck and i'm sure oh, you I remember the pictures of the, of the los angeles port, you know like you know all those cargo ships on the water for weeks waiting to be uploaded so so, so the result was inventory sales to ratios, uh, uh, sorry, inventory to sales ratios, actually. Um, they went up, right? More inventory for every dollar sold. And, you know, in some cases, some of the key retailers were talking about more than 30% increases year on year, which, you know, when you think about that in parallel, there's this concern by the government and everybody that inflation is, is rampant and the impact on the economy, we need to do something about it. So the Fed, started to intervene and you know try to moderate it by increasing interest rates what that that says that all these people sitting on these large inventories is extremely expensive to finance uh, that sort of inventory so that is now moving the pendulum the other way right so what we're seeing is companies are trying to right size their inventories but they cannot control the speed so much um, you know, it depends on consumer confidence and depend on people's decision to spend more money when they see inflation start to reduce because it is it is moderating. But, you know, there's still, you know, people are concerned about recessionary, you know, situation. Yeah. So, Not the R so word. you know, you all say, of that is, in, in, <laughs> yeah, so companies are redesigning production and sourcing, for example, they are 
And there's a lot more uh, that we hear about onshoring or nearshoring. So a lot of you know production moving to Mexico and Canada, for example, for us in the US, uh, away from other original you know uh, longer distance uh, sources. Uh, we're hearing about less concentration to reduce risk and, and the exposure companies have in the future and longer term investments for that. Um, there's also the labor market still holding strong here in the US. So you know back to my <laughs> the beginning of the answer is you know everybody's trying to figure it out uh, to predict the best they can. Uh, but the truth is for me at least in my opinion planning and forecasting is the most difficult job anyone can have right now. It's yeah. just it's it's yeah. You can win. You can never win. So it on sounds time. like to to sum it up for those listening, it's still a bit chaotic. Uh, yeah. Not as bad. So um, we still have to. I uh, hate this word now. Pivot, but we still have to manage it and and find opportunity in the chaos. So thank you yeah. for that. Thank you. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. Um, you know, one of your personal strengths uh, is employee enrichment, engagement, engagement and retention. And you feel strongly about including everyone and everyone having uh, a voice per se within the culture. Um, what actions have you taken as the CEO to personally drive engagement and retention? Can you give us some examples of what you have done to lead it? Yeah. So yeah, I definitely, I am a firm believer that engagement and retention do start with understanding what people really need and what they want, you know? So they're really understanding and then doing something about it. So, so what, we, what we do, we, we, uh, we gather those insights regularly. So twice a year we pulse our employees and, we, and we're specific about the topics that, that we pulse on, you know? What, what are the things that we want to know about? So, this company purpose I was talking about before is one of the items. Professional growth, we know development is so important. Empowerment, connection and well-being, much more relevant since you know, the last three years. Um, so, so we pulse, we get we get the feedback, and we consistently get a lot of feedback, which is great. People, people really um, participate in this. Uh, because we don't stop in the you know asking the question, and, and they know that our leadership team takes takes the insights and really turns them into action. And we keep going back to them, telling them how we're progressing against those actions. So if we look at just you know, a few of, of the actions um, that, that we implemented, uh, say, over the last 12 months, uh, there's, there's, there's a range of policies and programs that, that really address those, those things that came out of the, of the polls. So first example, we enhanced uh, benefits offerings uh, to include now parental a parental leave policy, uh, which now applies to birth or adopted, adopted mothers, fathers, foster parents, all of them. So it's very broad and, and people receive that very, uh, very positively. We also added um, a new employee resource group. We have wonderful employee resource groups uh, in, in our company in North America. Uh, the newest one is called Friends for Accessibility. I'm talking about inclusion. Uh, that one focused specifically on fostering an environment that supports team members with disabilities. So we're very happy about that one. Um, we also expanded our Mentor Connect program, and this is very important. I mean, for me, uh, I, I really believe so strongly in the value of mentoring. So we provide people the opportunities and the platform so that they can develop and grow you know, through peer-to-peer -peer mentorships and you know, even a cross-border you know, relationship, which it's not the most usual thing to happen, right? So we provide those opportunities. And, and the hybrid work environment, 
And we, we hear, you know, the people are telling us that flexibility is, is a top priority for them in this new normal. So, so, so we have a work, uh, a work environment that is hybrid. Well, you know, you see, it's uh, things evolve, and we understand that they will change every year. So this is kind of an iterative process. But uh, you know, employees see the results. We have really, really strong retention uh, compared to the benchmark in the industry. Our engagement scores are in the top quartile within class. So we're happy. Yeah, it's it's obviously working. <laughs> it's obviously. <laughs> Something is working. Yes, sweating the details at the C-suite level is is really important because it does come top down. Now you're headquartered in Atlanta. Um, Brambles is in London and Sydney. Um, you have thousands and thousands of employees, yeah. and you make it sound like it's this small little community. <laughs> but it is in some ways. You're quite large. So um, give me a feel for your culture. Um, outside of the employee enrichment, what are some of the rituals and beliefs that you have? So what can I expect as an employee about the culture there? So I think that, you know, the first thing that you notice, and, you know, I've, I've been here for 20 years, so I may have a little bit of a bias, right? But, you know, it's it's definitely if you stay that long, and I've been in all, you know, in three different continents and all the different business units, all the functions you can think of, I've been around. So, you know, yeah. I've experienced it. So my my, my personal opinion is that uh, the leaders we have are really authentic and they're supportive and they're vested in people. So so Jeff does hold our leaders to kind of a high standard for A, for delivering results, because one of our values is, you know, we have a passion for success, for sure, we're driven. But it, it is about, about doing that while caring for the people that achieve those, those results. And, and that, to me, does create an environment that is pretty special. You don't see in many companies. You know, the, the, the people feel that they're actually uh, safe, right? So it's an environment where they see their leader has their back and, you know, and that we don't tolerate people that are kind of, you know, cutthroat or you know, brash or, you know, like super arrogant. That's not the style. So, that, and that, that is kind of a consistent expectation all the way from the top and through the different tiers of the organization. So for me, that's quite unique. The other thing that is quite unique, and I think for anybody, uh, that is looking to progress in their careers. Uh, that sometimes you're thinking, oh, when is a good time to change company, go to another one, you know? Because that's a very, very real uh, dynamic. You know, my experience here is that you can have multiple careers and never leave Brands, never leave Chip, which is my case. So, you know, why probably is because we're continually, continuously uh, transforming the business, continuously taking on new challenges, and, and that creates opportunities all the time. For people to try new roles, to get on to new projects, to stretch their capabilities, even in areas where they, they actually may think they don't have the experience, have little experience, you know. So, so if you look at the majority of our tenure employees, we have a, many, many long tenure employees, uh, you will see, a, a, you know, a pattern. There's a long list of career stops that they have made. In each stop was a new development experience, new opportunity. If you look at mine, it's exactly the journey I had. You know, sometimes I, I thought, you know, that was a big stretch, it's a big jump. But the company takes bets on people. When we see the potential, we give that person a real stretch, a real challenge, you know, something that feels big. And, and that's why people stay, I think. That, I think that's a, that's a big thing. 
You'd be surprised, Laura, how many large global companies don't do that. There's there's no structure to it. Um, it sounds like it's the norm and it's infused in your culture there that you can grow within teams, departments, different companies, different parts of the world. Um, that's really an enticement for retention for you all. And, and you combine that with your sustainability mission. Yeah. I can see why the tenure and your scores are so high. And plus yeah. with your, your commitment to their experience at the company. So thank you so much for sharing that. Let's, let's talk about um, maybe a young person uh, that's thinking about working for a large global company. And they come to you and say, what are the keys to success for me? What advice would you give them? Would, where would you start them on that path? They, they want to work globally. They want to do international business. They want to maybe even go into supply chain, logistics, sustainability. What advice? Oh, well, <laughs> there's, um, there's an, a strong need for resilience and adaptability, right? So that that that's that's how you need to know yourself and 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 be sure that that you know that is for you first. So uh, so that, that that I will start with that. But when you're changing, in, in my case, I changed geography and cultures, like you know, from Anglo-Saxon to Latino to you know, like you know, it's like it's very very different types of ways of living and thinking and making decisions and so on. Uh, so when you're changing that that much and frequently, if that's what you decide, uh, you know, you first have to survive and then you have to adapt and succeed, right? So so it's very important that in order to do that, you seek some local coach or local expert or mentor, right? Uh, so I, I, I did find that identifying very early on, as soon as I go there, someone I could trust that could help me understand the local code because you know, things are decodified very differently. How people think, how they approach decisions, how they get things done, is very different in Germany than it is in the UK or Spain or Brazil, right? So it's extremely different. And you can get into difficult situations, actually, because you don't know how to decodify. So so that that is one thing. I, I definitely recommend that as a practical um, tip. Uh, you really need to be very open-minded and non-judgmental. I think for me, that's a step one. If you go with you know, your views of the world uh, and you're not prepared to listen, listen, listen and learn and really not be non-judgmental, uh, it's gonna be tough. So you need to be prepared to learn every minute of the day. And, and really, I mean, I guess for everybody, but typically when you do this international, uh, international moves, the, 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 the mentors play a, a very important role. So, you know, when I was saying, you know, find a coach initially, but also find really good mentors that, that can really kind of go with you in that journey and give you guidance um, and help, help you. Uh, it's important to nurture those relationships uh, and have them grow over time. I have several mentors. I keep those relationships over years. They become friendships eventually over so many years. Um, but it is important that, and the other thing that is important because we're moving around, you know, and, you know, kind of all the people that you knew in the UK is no longer relevant when you are in Latin America and, you know, the same when you go back to the US. So, so you lose that kind of network that is, is, is an anchor and it is, is, is a resource, right? Um, so for me, it's important to spend the time to identify who are going to be your sponsors. So when you're going into that new region, that new role, 
uh, and you're the newcomer, you know, so you, you need to figure it out kind of early <laughs> uh, because you're going to need them. You're going to need to use their equity, you know, and, and their support for you when the time comes for the next big role. Right. So, you know, thinking right. about, sometimes we think about doing the job, you know, doing the transactional piece of it, but really thinking about, you know, how you share your achievements, your capabilities, your talent, your runway to somebody that's going to be in the big room. And, and, and it's going to be there to say your name when, you know, people are brainstorming potential candidates for that next big promotion. So, um, yeah, and languages, they, they definitely have people like to communicate in their language. So if you make the effort to communicate with them in their language, it goes a long, long way. Tell everyone the languages that you speak. I know you told <laughs> tell everybody. Well, Spanish and Italian are my, because my mother is Italian, my father is Argentinian. So those I grew up with. Then I studied English after high school. So, um, and I moved to the UK. I studied French and, uh, and Portuguese. Uh, I was running the, the Southern European region, Spain and Portugal. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very good advice. The way, the way you do the work versus doing the work, respecting culture, respecting differences, getting a mentor, that's good advice for anybody, yeah. uh, let alone somebody just entering um, a global company. And of course, learning languages is always important. It, it shows respect, right? Mm -hmm. Respect culture respect for differences and the one thing that i just really stuck with is not to judge like we as yeah. americans we're, we're go 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 we make assessments we focus on the work well somebody else might think that that's very rude yes very rude. yes um so we don't want to offend people just because we're not open um mm -hmm. so thank you thank you for sharing that and that's just good advice in in general um Let's talk about if you were to write a leadership book. <laughs> so you're the author of the next, you know, top selling leadership book. What would be some of the chapters? What would be some of the names of the chapters? Okay, I would, I would, let's think about it, but I would need uh, somebody to edit this probably. Uh, so <laughs> I would say the first one, the first one for me would be jump on that train was the worst that can happen. Right? And especially for women, if women are going to pick up this book, jump on that train, right? Because, you know, we're sometimes preconditioned to be so cautious and so risk averse, and, you know, like this seems too big a jump for me and just go for it. Just yeah. go for it, you know, trust your guys, just, you know, just, just take the risk, uh, even if it is scary. Now, to me, that the being a little bit scared shows self-awareness, which is a good thing. So, you know, your own you know, gaps and where you need to develop more. Uh, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't, you shouldn't take the risk and, and move on. Uh, the second one I think would be probably in line with you know, my advice before on the on international journey, but it's for everybody, is, is to listen and learn. I keep that, um, that open and inclusive mindset constantly. Like that's, that's, that for me, that's critical. And then there's one that is important for an international trooper like me. Uh, <laughs> you and your partner are a team, right? So that, that is something that we people sometimes don't talk too much about, but you know, especially if both have a professional career that is you know, relevant. So to me, it's about the importance of 
finding the balance that works for you in your particular case and you, you know, there's no there's no recipe for it but but you know for me i very early on decided that i wouldn't have a brilliant career at the expense of a broken family so for me it was how do we really discuss and understand what the guardrails of this are going to be what we do and don't do you know like and how we make decisions when you know somebody gets a, an offer for a promotion for example or a relocation is on the horizon so how, how how do we but we, we do it before it happens right so we decide this yeah. long before you very are in the situation advice. of the decision so very, me, very good advice especially as a female ceo uh, it's, it's different. It's it's different. I know from different. my family, yep. my family, we have family meetings and we talk about things. What do you think about this? Yeah, I will contact you. So um, that's very good advice because it's it talks about the whole person. Um, so let's talk about you as a whole person. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes we're judged by the title, or the title comes before the human. And we'd like to demystify CEOs here on, on this program. Um, tell me, when you wake up, what's, what are some of the rituals that you do before you start working? What are some of your rituals? So first of all, I go kiss every one of my kids and my husband to say good morning. So that's my kind of, you know, that makes me happy. Uh, but I try to do some, um, you know, stretching and yoga. Like I feel that gives me, the sense of being self-centered and balanced and it kind of I start the, the day with an optimistic mood actually it does it does help um and then the next thing I do is I dress up for work and it doesn't matter like you know today I'm at home so you can see I'm, I'm from the home office today but I'm still dressed up I, I dress up for uh the office as well as for working from home because it feel it makes me feel like I'm ready you know like I'm and right. I, you know, I look the part, so that's that's important for me. And then the, the final the final part of the day is, you know, I do ex my exercise, the, the kind of hardcore exercise happens at the end of the day because I let go of the steam and any any stress that's still there it, it goes, so I can be, you know, with my family, all good vibes and you know, no no stress. So that that would be my wonderful. What do you do, Lara? What do you do for fun? What kind of things do you um do? what i do for fun so i i love dancing so um in fact you know one of the things that people don't know about me is that i'm i'm a certified professor of ballet and so classical dance and oh. flamenco so the spanish dance you know yeah uh, so dancing for me is you know i i love dancing it can be hip-hop it can be a rock it can be you know, it can be anything uh, i just love it and I love watching movies. And sometimes it's old movies. I don't know why. You know, old movies. I go and rewatch. Sometimes it's new or a series. You know, Netflix. That that kind of helps me completely disconnect, and uh, I enjoy that. Now tell me, do do you teach uh, ballet or flamenco? No. When I when I when I so I, I I did study for many years, like fifteen years, and then I you know I certified, and then you know my other life of engineer and you know, supply yeah. chain came up and then the kids so it was, uh, it's not there's no time but you know but i love every chance i can you know and when there's music i'm dancing so, and my kids obviously teenagers as they are they are like wow don't that i'm in the supermarket <laughs> the music is on and i'm and i'm kind of shaking it it's, it's and, fun to be uh, a cool mom once in a while right no it's embarrassing for them at this age it's not good no uh 
So uh, what are some of your pet peeves? What irritates you? So um, so I, I have to say that I don't, I don't hate many things. I, I do hate it when, when people don't follow on their commitments, right? So I, I'm kind of, you know, I, I work on the basis of trust. And for me, you know, integrity is core. And if you tell me you're going to do something, I'm going to trust that you're going to do something. You know, yeah. whenever you told me it's going to happen. So, you know, when people are kind of loose with the truth and provide many excuses and yeah. I, I'm, I don't deal well with that. I think us as CEOs, we have to depend on that word of word. And when they don't do it, it, it becomes a frustration. It, it really does, both personally and professionally, because we're boom, 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 go, go, go. We, we want to be able to count on people. Yeah. Um, uh, what's the best decision you have ever made? I have to say is, I mean, no doubt is jumping on that plane to go to the UK. 24 years ago, I was you know, working in Argentina for a different company and this opportunity came you know, in front of me my boss at, at Ryder at the time said, you know, what do you think about this project? You can go, but it's 48 hours, you know, in the next 48 hours, you need to be on the plane. And I'm like, wow. I need to change my life. It's a one-way ticket. There was no time to return. So we didn't, I didn't know when, you know, how long this would last, but it changed my entire life. After that, everything changed. So I would 20 million times do it again. Two days you had to make a life change. Yes. To live in a different My mother almost had a heart attack. Because I bet. <laughs> I bet. She, knew, she knew I'm an independent bird. You know, so I, I, I like freedom and you know, I make my decisions. And she feared that I would not come back. And uh, she wasn't too wrong, I guess, because it's, it's been more than 20 years now. But I keep going back. I go twice a year uh, to Argentina to visit and be with, with the family. Yeah. And that takes courage. It takes courage. There was risk there. You had the courage. And that's another sign of, of you as a human. You're not concerned about taking risks. You take the risks, knowing and having faith that you're going to get through it. So, Laura, yeah. thank you so much for sharing your success journey with us. We appreciate having you on the program. And as I always say, keep shining bright.